You're listening to Make and Create, a podcast dedicated to empowerment in the creative and business space. In a time when social media so often portrays the perfect picture, here you can find the raw reality behind pursuing the path less traveled when it comes to creative pursuits, careers, and life. From entrepreneurs to artists, designers, and individuals pursuing a non-linear journey, this space houses inspiration to keep you motivated while traveling your own path. We make our choice each day to show up in our creative endeavors, even when we fail. When we push through those dark, hard moments and keep on keeping on, I find that's when we bloom. I'm excited for this journey, and I'll be walking right there with you. Don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. Welcome back to Make and Create. I'm your host, Jen Vigia-Lazan, and I'm back this week with an interview featuring a local Chicagoan who has truly shown that you can make a career work for you wherever you are if you have the passion and drive to pursue it. I first met Social Herrera Shear in college. We both attended a Chicago-based art school and were in the fashion program there. I needed some tutoring in a pattern-making class, and she was the one to go to. It's no surprise that she's now known as the Chicago Pattern Maker. The fashion industry is a tough one to break into, especially for those who were in our graduating class, which was right smack in the middle of the recession. Yet, people like Sochal saw the hardships as an opportunity to grow and learn. Nope, she didn't move to New York or Los Angeles. Rather, she made it work right here in the Midwest in Chicago. Surprising to some, but for those of us who have worked in the industry, Chicago has quite the small but mighty fashion industry. Sochal took her first years out of college to work for others and learn freelance where she could and over the years she realized that she was building her own brand. Sochal made Chicago her home in 2003, moving from her hometown of Madison, Wisconsin. She has a BFA in fashion design as well as a graduate degree in entrepreneurship. Sochal is a detail-oriented, result-driven taskmaster and enjoys the analytical side of fashion, making products come to life through strategic sourcing and technical details. She has an amazing skill set in technical design, pattern making, material sourcing, and production management. She also has a really keen understanding of the production process through working with various factories and being closely involved with clients throughout their development. She has her hands in many of the small brand launches that you might have seen and that have become popular in the Midwest. And the fact that her small business is growing in a time where the fashion industry is shifting is a testament to her work ethic. Throughout this episode, I talk with Sochal about her journey as a small business owner and what it has been like trying to navigate the, at times, murky waters of the fashion industry. We also talk about the transformation that the industry is going through. She explains her thoughts on fast fashion and why sustainability in manufacturing processes is so important and how she's keeping her small brand sustainable. She shares what it has been like for her as a working mom and how she's built a supportive community through networks like Fashion Group International. She is such a motivational and hardworking individual. It's no surprise that she has seen so much success over the last few years. If you're an indie creator looking for some motivation to push yourself or put your brand out there, if you're a fashion student who wants to learn more about the industry here in Chicago, or a seasoned pro who is thinking about going out on your own, then this is the episode for you. Keep listening for the full interview. So let's kind of start off then with an introduction about you, um, your background, and your journey leading you to your work as you know a consultant in the fashion industry under your brand, the Chicago Pattern Maker. 
Okay. Um, so I've been sewing and interested in fashion since I was a little kid. Uh, my mom always tells a story about how I would like change my outfits multiple times a day when <laughs> I was like three years old. And I see that kind of in my own daughter now, actually, she's like <laughs> choosing her clothes and very um, insistent upon her choices. It's really cute. Um, but I learned how to sew when I was seven. Um, my grandma taught me how to make doll clothes. And then I had a, a 4-H teacher um, who was actually my like daycare provider when I was a little kid um, who taught me how to sew my first outfit. And from there, I was like making dresses for school dances and um you know, just things to wear and started experimenting with like cutting things up and kind of seeing how things were put together. And um, in high school, I took classes in like architectural drafting and tech ed. Um, my tech ed teacher got me um, kind of a very early version of like a, a CAD system that worked with AutoCAD. So very I could cool. play with pattern making on the computer, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, did like yearbook design, took lots of art classes, ceramics, painting, um, drawing, all that stuff. Um, so then end of end of high school, my, my senior year, I was actually taking community college classes, doing pattern making and sewing classes. Um, they were like non, non-credit classes. So I was taking it with like 60-year-old women. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually a really cool experience, like seeing how to fit garments on different body types and, um, you know, seeing bodies of different ages and things like that. So it was a great kind of precursor for me before I got, went to college. And I really fell in love with pattern making kind of all over again uh, when I went to the Illinois Institute of Art and had really great pattern making teachers. Um, so my first job out of school um, was at a boutique in Old Town. And I worked there for three years until they kind of closed when a bunch of stores closed um, in 2009. Uh, the economy went bad, but it was a great experience. I learned how to tailor. Um, do, we did like custom restyling. I did a handbag line for the store that was sold there and um, some in-house pieces, dresses, skirts, things like that. And when the job, you know, kind of ended, I found myself thinking, do you know, do I want to start a new job? Do I want to look for another retail type of job? Or should I take this opportunity to kind of branch out on my own? And I'd already been kind of doing side projects and people would ask me and I had just finished up doing um, a uniform project for a plumbing company. Um, They're called the Scottish Plumber and they wanted to do um, not for wearing at, yeah, at plumbing jobs but for like events and things like that they wanted to have custom kilts made for <laughs> for their plumbers to wear so I did this cool project and I was so inspired by that experience and thought you know what this is my this is my time I'm gonna start my own business and so I just started networking and meeting as many people as possible and you know finding jobs on Craigslist because at the time like Facebook was not what it was today, you know, it was for connecting with personal friends and college college uh, colleagues and things like that. Yeah. But it was not like the marketplace that it is today. So, yeah, that's really how I started my business. And I just, you know, wanted to do product development and, and work with designers. You mentioned something that's really important. I, I graduated, a, you know, a little bit around the, like, not too long after you finished. And we we kind of you were working when the industry like when the economy was falling apart i like graduated into that and 
like experience things like a lit, you know, a layoff and you're so young and you're like, oh my goodness. Like I think back to that point, like I had my, my oldest daughter is 10 and she was super young. She was still a baby when I graduated. And I was just thinking back to that time frame, like getting laid off and the economy kind of like collapsing and not finding the opportunities that we necessarily wanted or that paid well, but like just taking what you could and and learning from that where you could, right? Like, I feel like that kind of helped to shape the type of workers, the type of employees, the type of um, uh, individuals that we ended up being in terms of our careers and our jobs. Like, I I, I joke, I'm like, I have five jobs, but like three of them are teaching because I have to teach at different schools. (laughs) And then two of them deal with my freelance. But I feel like that whole experience, it turned us into these very like motivated, ambitious young people who had no choice. Like how did, did that experience around the time of 2008, 2009, you know, shape who you are and what you do in terms of your, you know, building your business and your brand? Did you learn anything from it? Um, did it hurt you? Did it help you? Did it um, instill any, you know, specific like work ethic in you because of the experiences that you had through that time frame? Um, I mean, I think initially, obviously, the shock of like, oh my God, my job is ending is is a bad thing. But ultimately, I I think the timing was right in that I had been, you know, starting to experiment and um, take on side projects here and there for people that I knew or that, you know, heard about me or rec- were recommended by friends. And, but yeah, I had to kind of hodgepodge together, like, multiple jobs. I, I found a pattern making job for a boutique in Andersonville um, called Charlie Road. And they were looking for just a part-time pattern maker and seamstress to help them with their lines. So I was working there like one or two days a week, kind of depending on what they needed. And I worked for another company called the Image Studios in the West Loop, who does like personal styling and um, personal brand development. So I worked as a tailor for them. Um, and then I was also, you know, working with, you know, small and startup fashion designers and helping them with, with their clothing. I worked with uh, Boris Powell, who's, you know, now a very yes. well-known Chicago designer, but back when he was still in his apartment, um, helping him with like dress patterns and things like that. So I feel like I started at a really good time when there were other people who, you know, kind of turn that struggle and that bad economy and have now built really cool, amazing businesses as well. So I, I, yeah, I got to know a lot of people and also just by like literally going to every networking event I could, I was really involved with um, Fashion Group International after I got out of school and also um, AIBI, which is the Apparel Industry Board of Illinois. They used to do like speed networking events. So I met you know, fabric reps and other designers. And um, it was a really good way, whether or not I got like business directly, like a lot of them would refer business after. And so I built, um, you know, built my, my startup clientele that way. Very cool. So can you tell us more about like what your brand consists of in terms of services, maybe how you help indie designers or designers in general, um, how you work with labels and brands to launch? Yeah. Um, so obviously my, my company name is the Chicago Pattern Maker. So primarily I, I focus on pattern making um, and product development. So that means I do kind of complementary services, which are, you know, sewing prototypes, um, creating tech packs, technical sketches, things like that. Um, 
I really work with designers because most of them come to me without a design background. So they're coming with sketches or kind of rough ideas and I need to help them, you know, find the fabrics, find factories that will work with them, um, especially if they're starting out and they don't necessarily want to make like hundreds of pieces in their first order. So, you know, finding really good factory contacts for them, um, both in Chicago and around the country. Um, but helping them also develop further their their concept into what's gonna what's gonna sell in that price point. Um, maybe suggesting different construction methods or seams uh, that will help them achieve the look and also the price point that they're going for, and um, just really helping them through that kind of navigating that process. But I also like consult with them on kind of the factory relationships. Gotcha. Do you find that there are a lot of um, like your clientele now is a lot of people who aren't necessarily, you know, privy to or part of or have experience in the fashion industry, that it's more and more, you know, outside individuals who find inspiration in fashion and then are looking to launch a line. Yeah, uh, I'd say, I mean, there's, I'd say, I don't know, it's hard to break down the percentage, but maybe like 20% or less are like real, I would say, designers where they're actively, you know, draping their designs on mannequins or they have some sewing ability and they're putting concepts together or maybe even doing some pattern drafting, but they want it cleaned up. Like that's kind of very, very small percentage of my clients. Most of them are people from other industries and they've had a concept or an idea, maybe it's something that's been brewing, you know, for years, and they decide, you know what, I want to start a business. Um, I think entrepreneurship is kind of getting cool now, where (laughs) it really was not the way it was. (laughs) You know, when I first started my business, certainly there were entrepreneurs, of course, but it's, it's cool now. So I think more people are like, oh, I really want to do this. I want to have a product. um, And they're not afraid to start that start the process and and get it going and you know there's kickstarter and stuff like that out there that can help them achieve that yeah i totally agree and i feel i feel like it's not even necessarily that it's just that it's a cool thing to do today i think honestly it's just kind of the direction that we see employment going in people are choosing to work the gig economy or do freelance or they're looking, like you mentioned earlier, for the flexibility of things like working from home and creating your own hours. Um, but I also think mm-hmm. there's like this backlash going on too against the corporate world, this nine to five. Um, people aren't necessarily feeling that that necessarily works best for them and what they're trying to do in terms of, you know, kind of like, quote unquote, leaving their legacy behind. Like, I think back to like, great, like my great, great grandma, she probably worked at um like uh my or not my great grandma but like my daughter's great great grandma on her dad's side she worked for I think like Bell Labs or some telephone company and she worked there for like 40 years you don't see that anymore and they took care of her and she had a great retirement and benefits until she passed away rest her soul but like you don't see things like that very much anymore people stay at a company for two years and then move to the next because that's the only way they see they can, you know, move up in a company. So it's interesting to see everything kind of like evolve and kind of mm-hmm. lead into self-employment for people. Yeah, I think people, they want that flexibility, like you said. They want to do something they're passionate about. They don't want to like have a desk job that they hate going to every day and commute for an hour and stuff like that. Like we want to live life and be happy and 
I think the the corporate culture, I mean, there are certainly good companies out there, but there's a lot of ones that really don't take care of their employees anymore. So being an entrepreneur, even though it's obviously hard work, mm-hmm. um, you're doing it for yourself. So it, it makes all that hard work, I think, more worthwhile. And just being able to have a platform, um, social media and things like the GoFundMe and the Kickstarter and stuff like that gives you access to people to like help make your dream happen. And I think that's really cool that people are so supportive of one another. And um, I think building kind of that global community is really cool. Absolutely. So, you know, I would like to hear a little bit more about what it's like, you know, running your fashion brand in the Midwest. Are there opportunities? Do people need to move to the East Coast or the West Coast, like we talked about earlier, in order to make a career in fashion work? Oh, I actually think there's probably more opportunities um, in the Midwest because the market is not as saturated as it is in like LA or New York. Um, I mean, certainly those are great places to be and inspiring to be around, you know, other designers and things like that. But we have a really cool culture like here in Chicago. There's lots of um, designers, um, great music scene, art, um, things that can really inspire you. And also, you know, just going back, like, you really can live anywhere now and you're connected to the world. You can travel easily. You can um, travel virtually to people. Um, and it, it makes it kind of a loving, a level playing field, in my opinion. I think we have more access to, to really good tools and to people um, more than ever before. But again, I think it's, it's less saturated. So I feel like if you go to LA and you're looking for a pattern maker, there's probably 50 or more pattern makers at various factories that you have access to in the Midwest. There, there are fewer. Um, I mean, we're, they're certainly out there, but I feel like I have uh, maybe a a better opportunity to reach people um, living where I do. Totally. I also think that people don't realize how many big fashion corporations are actually in the Midwest, like whether it's in places like Ohio or um, in Wisconsin, here in Chicago, Mm -hmm. brands like Sears and Claire's and things like that. There's actually quite a few uh, companies that are headquartered here in the area. It's um, people don't hear about them, but yeah, like Kohl's, Jackie, um, Wilson Sports. I mean, there's all kinds of places that are um, just a couple hours from Chicago, so like corporate opportunities as well as freelance opportunities, depending on what someone is looking for. Yep. And I saw that you kind of, you, outside of just working with your one-off clients, it also looks like you work with brands from time to time, whether it's working through an agency. Do you want to touch on that at all? Um, yeah. So I am currently also represented by um, Factor Artists, which they represent like stylists, makeup artists. Um, and I'm on their team as a tailor. So I've gotten to work with brands like Nike and Kohl's, which has been really cool um, opportunities. I work on like their photo shoot sets, um, which are local in Chicago. And um, that's a really awesome opportunity to see what they're doing as a, as a large brand um, and kind of get inspired by the marketing and things like that behind um, that. And it's different from working with a small brand, um, but both have really really interesting, um, I don't know, stories and things like that. So it's inspiring to work with both large brands and and small brands, I find. Very cool. So what was the whole process like building up your company? Um, Did you always have the same vision from the start? Did life throw any curveballs at you that maybe required you to pivot at all in terms of your career or life direction? 
Um, I think, you know, when I first started school, my vision was probably like most people going into fashion school, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Um, but I didn't really necessarily know what all that entailed or what was involved or if that was even really my dream. So I think that changed in school when I found out like, I really enjoyed powder making and I saw a lot of other people really didn't. Um, I didn't know powder making on its own was you know, a career. I just thought, oh, you're the designer. You, you do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many different careers um, with any fashion label besides the designer. Um, there's pattern making, sample making, tech design, sourcing, all kinds of things. So um, finding really what I love was um, was cool. And also to see that it was, you know, a niche outside of other people's passions. Um, when I first started my business, though, you know, of course, you have to wear every single hat. And so <laughs> I, you know, I helped with design, I helped with fabric sourcing and sample sewing and patterns and, you know, driving around to contractors and kind of just literally doing everything that I had to and on top of marketing and accounting and all the business type of things that I have to do. Um, tailoring custom design projects, things like that, which now I, once in a while, I'll take a custom design project, like someone's um, like wedding or party dress or something like that. But I can only really handle like one of those a year because it, it's a cool thing to do, but I, I'm like mentally, I'm not in that space. And yeah. I really like, I like working with designers on their creative vision. And I feel like I'm more of like an analytical creative. So I like kind of breaking it down and doing the problem solving and figuring out how to make that sketch or that item fit as a pattern and, you know, kind of rendering that out. So figuring that out about myself and also, you know, being able to compartmentalize what I'm best at, what I'm going to do, you know, that's changed my business and what I'm doing. Um, I think as far as like curveballs, not really a curveball, I guess, but like having, and I have an almost three-year-old daughter, so that's changed how I do business and how I spend my time a bit. Um, I think it's ultimately, it's been for the better. I think I'm actually more productive as a mom than I was before, mm-hmm. um, before I had her, but, you know, learning to adjust and manage my time and schedule clients and not kind of over overbook myself. Um, has been a, a continuing challenge, but something like I feel like I'm continually getting better at and and working working through. <laughs> yeah, yep. And I think that's true. I feel like a lot of people like they think of the, you know, oh, you become a mom and then your business is gonna just go to the side, and that's not always the case. Like, yeah, there are some moms that decide, hey, I'm gonna be a stay at home mom and. I'm gonna focus on taking care of my kids, and that's awesome. But then there are a lot of us who are like. A, we don't have a choice really. We have to keep working, and and B, we are really passionate about what we are doing. So we want to find a way to kind of balance because there's never really truly one hundred percent balance. But I totally agree with you. Being a mom, it it gives you this drive, but then it also it kind of lights a fire under your butt because you're like, I got to get this done. I have to be productive with the amount of time that I have, so that you can you know make time for work and make time for your kid and you know but you're also such an awesome role model for your daughter too it's like she gets to look up to her mom every day who's busting her butt right to build this beautiful brand this business that you're so passionate about 
but also inspire her that, you know, it's okay to be a someone who works. It's okay to be a woman in a fast-paced, crazy industry, um, you know, doing the thing. Like, I think that's, that's like the other really cool part about it too. It's like you have, especially when you have a daughter, it's like you have this little girl who just looks up to you and is in awe of, mom, you're doing all these great things. Like, I want to be like you when I grow up. I think that's cool. <laughs> I, I think it's amazing. And I mean, yeah, I think I'm ultimately a better mom because I'm doing something that makes me happy that I'm passionate about. And I want, you know, to instill that in her that like you can work hard and do something that you love. And those are all great things to be able to do. So there's nothing to feel guilty about, but it is a matter of like, you know, figuring out what what is that balance. And for me, it meant like no longer working on weekends and sometimes I still have a client that's literally the only time because they're, they're working in their own nine to five and they're trying to start a business. And so I will, you know, carve out that time, but I make sure it's not every single weekend. It's maybe once a month or um, evenings, you know, I turn my phone off between five and and 8 PM when she goes to bed so that like, that's our time together. And even if I have to pick back up and do emails late at night, like, or like work on my accounting or whatever I have to do. Like, I want to make sure that like she knows I'm present and, and balancing that with, with, you know, running the business and and keeping clients happy and and all of that. Yep. That's awesome. That that idea of presence, really taking the time to disconnect. I think as an entrepreneur or someone just who does freelance like me, like that can be the hardest part too. And it's like you learn and you, I also think we have to be, able to kind of like forgive ourselves sometimes too um but i i think it's just in the last few years where i'm really like okay no phone has to go off i can't be looking at emails i have to take the time you know to spend with the girls and give them all of my attention but also not beat myself up for all the other times where that wasn't always the case and where i was looking at my phone or i was responding to a client or i was responding to work or something like that um, we we can't be perfect, you know, as business people or as mothers all the time. So I think just, you know, like you said, giving yourself a break and you you do the best you can every single day. And some days you might suck and then you, you make up for it later and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're all, we're all human. We're all tr- trying to balance, even though balance is whatever you make it really. Um, but yeah, I think just prioritizing like what's what's most important today for me to get done um or what's important this hour for me to get done even sometimes yes oh man so we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier like the evolution especially you know from you know the economy changes and all that stuff and how we've had to evolve over the years especially in the industry um but I also see a lot of changing and shifts going on in the fashion industry itself in terms of consciousness and consciousness on how the industry impacts the people and the world around it, right? So this idea of kind of like moving away from the fast fashion model, which was like the go-to most successful model, and it obviously is still very strong. Um, but I'm seeing this shift almost into this more um, focus on sustainability, do you see this happening at all from your perspective as a as an independent consultant and the work that you're doing with your big clients and your smaller clients? Um, and do you think it's going to make a difference? And is it something that you find is necessary for the industry in terms of the evolution that it's going through? Uh, I, I see a lot more 
interest um, from the consumer level, number one, of like people want to know where do my clothes come from? Uh, what's the brand story? Like what what's the deal with this? And I think that's really cool that we're starting those types of conversations with each other as consumers. Um, coming from my end on development, it's something I'm definitely interested in. And I have lots of clients who, you know, that's part of their brand story. They want to be sustainable. They want, you know, to minimize waste, um, you know, saving scraps of material or um, utilizing it to make accessories or other items. Um, I think there's a lot of just more awareness. Um, one movie I watched um, or documentary, excuse me, I watched a while back was called The True Cost. And I know it's been out for a few years. I'm sure a lot of more people have seen it um, than when it first came out, but it really breaks down like the, the unethical, you know, practices that unfortunately the fashion industry has been a part of, whether it's production or whether it's, you know, human rights and, and labor issues, pollution is a big um, problem. So I see, you know, by attending trade shows, I see a lot of uh, new things that are coming out such as, uh, you know, clean dyes or, um, sustainable and recycled materials, things like that. But also the brands, you know, are adapting those things and the consumers are starting to want it. We all have to kind of do our part at each level. Like if people aren't interested in buying it, the brands aren't going to go for it, but the brands have to kind of offer, offer those things and, and make it cool. Not just make it like do this because you should feel guilty about the clothes you're buying. Like you want to, you want to feel good about the clothes you're buying and wearing. Um, but yeah, I think there's there is kind of a revolt too against the the uh, fast fashion of before, and I think the blogging um, phenomenon that's gone on has kind of exacerbated that. Like, you don't want to be seen in the same outfit twice on your mm, Instagram or on your yeah. blog or something like that. So, um, making it okay to like it's okay to repeat your outfits and it's okay to have a smaller closet or um, a capsule wardrobe or something like that. So. It's it's a slow moving movement, but it I think there definitely is a movement there. Totally, and that film, that documentary, actually, I I, I show it um, almost every year uh, to my students, and it's really interesting to see how disconnected consumers are in terms of what's going on in the industry, and not really thinking about like, well, where do my clothes come from, and who does make them, and how much money do they get paid. Um, but it's always so interesting just to see their reactions after, um, I think back to when, you know, to like around the time when we were in school, we didn't ask those kind of questions. We didn't think about that. We were so like, at least me, I was very like focused on getting through school, finishing so I can get a job in the industry or, you know, do whatever it was that I was going to do once I was done. And as consumers, you still see that people are very much disconnected. They don't really ask those questions or wonder, but films like that, documentaries like that, absolutely open up the floodgates in terms of knowledge. And knowledge is power today, right? The consumer has a lot of power. We can, you know, be pissed off at a brand and tweet at them. And then a customer service rep is going to try and help us resolve our question on, you know, or our issue on social media. Um, so I think the, the knowledge that is gained from something like that is so important. It's just, it's, it's always mind blowing to me. My students, they go either one of two ways, either they're like super pissed off and they're like, you know, what can we do to change? And I want to be part of the change. 
or there's the students who are indifferent, they just don't care. Um, but it's really exciting to see how more and more students are like getting hyped about, I still want to work in this industry. And even though they've made all these bad decisions in the past, I want to be part of the solution to help make it better in the future. And that like totally inspires me. I think that's like, that those are awesome. the kids that we need, right? Yeah, like they're the, they're the game changers. Uh, we need that next generation of people who really like are passionate and want to do something about it and promote, you know, recycling at your company and using all the, you know, material scraps and um, incorporating, you know, recycled and eco-friendly materials and, you know, reducing the amount of like polyesters and plastics and things like that that we're using. Yeah. Are you working to create sustainability in your own business model? Um, and if so, uh, or, or, well, A, are you, and then B, do you find that your clients are doing this or wanting this as well? Um, I, I mean, for me, I work from home, so I've definitely like reduced sort of my carbon footprint by not, you know, commuting a lot, um, which is good. I recycle at home, including, you know, patterns that I print or, um, fabric scraps that I have, um. Some of my clients have requested, like, oh, if a fabric scrap is, like, larger than, you know, however, you know, they might say, like, five inches by five inches or something, whatever mm -hmm. the measurement is, and say, I want to reuse that so we, we keep their fabric. Um, I'm very conscientious about how I'm cutting things, you know, reducing reducing garbage, really, because um, it's inevitable you're going to have thread and, and fabric pieces and paper and things like that that ultimately go to waste, so recycling is kind of the thing I can do myself in the office. Um, when clients are fabric sourcing, you know, ultimately it's their decision what they're going to produce their item with. I can't make that decision for them, mm -hmm. but I try to steer them towards companies that I know are, are ethical. I, I work with a lot of domestic manufacturers, so I know that those factories, especially when I've gone to visit a lot of them, you know, treat their employees well, they pay their employees a fair wage, um, they're clean, um, air conditioned, those type of things. So I try to steer people into good resources. Ultimately, of course, they make their own decisions, but I feel like if I, if I put those resources in front of them, it makes it easier for them to, to do business in an ethical way too. Very cool. Can you share some insights on your journey as a woman entrepreneur? Um, whether it be like the work you're doing as an independent contractor and super like fast paced industry on top of that, you're a mom. Um, how have you managed to navigate through it all? Um, I think you just, you have to love, like you have to love what you're doing. And I, I genuinely love what I'm doing. It makes me happy to, you know, work with brands and, and see products come out to market and, and see the evolution of them presenting me with a sketch or, you know, a concept and, and putting it out there into the world. I think it's amazing. Um, it is fast paced world. I think I've, I've been able to work with because I do work with mainly smaller brands. So a lot of them are on like the slow fashion cycle. So that's helpful. Um, but I still do have to, you know, help them navigate that world or, tell them to slow down because a lot of people are so conditioned with the fast fashion that I have to say, you know, let's slow it down. You can not expect to like launch your first collection in six months. Like it's going to take a little bit more time than that. 
um, or they're contacting me and it's June and they're trying to make a fall collection. Like, okay, why don't we try like next spring or, or next fall? Yeah. <laughs> so getting the fast paced um, world to kind of slow down um, is something that I try to do. Um, in terms of mom, I think we, you know, talked about how, how that is just a balancing act and again, just being passionate about it and, and pushing forward. So you're also a part of FGI. I know you were talking about that a bit earlier and how it's kind of helped you in terms of building your client base and things like that. Um, for a long time, I was actually involved in the Chicago Fashion Foundation, so I totally can appreciate you know all the positive things that organizations like FGI and um, the CFF, what they're doing specifically in the Chicago community. Uh, but I also feel like FGI, you guys are international and, and it's a much bigger footprint in terms of what they're doing and how they're involved in the industry as a whole. Can you share some of your experiences and why you think it's important to become involved in professional organizations like that? Uh, I've been a member of FGI, um, which is Fashion Group International, if people aren't familiar. And I've been involved since I graduated. So since like 2007, I've been a member. Um, when I was a student, I attended a couple events. They used to do like career days where they'd have speakers. Um, I remember one year they had uh, the CEO from Zappos speak, which was super inspiring as a student. Um, but yeah, it's been a great organization to be involved with. Their focus is on like professional development and they do educational programming. So we have panel discussions and um, it's more than just like going shopping with your friends. And also the member mix is really, um, really cool. It's like people that I wouldn't have probably met otherwise because there's, there's corporate people who, you know, work for uh, like Ulta or Claire's or um, they're in PR with Zapwater or like big companies that I feel like I would not have access to these people were it not for, for fashion group. And then there's also a mix of, you know, younger companies, you know, independent designers, um, modeling agency reps, um, things like that. So it's just a really cool mix of people. Um, I've gotten to make, you know, really great friendships over the years and, and also business relationships. Um, and again, it's not always like directly meeting someone at an event and they hire me the next day, but, you know, over the years and you have that relationship, if someone contacts them and is looking to start a line or has a line and they need help, I'm, you know, one of the first people that they, they put in touch because they know me personally. And so, yeah, having, having a group of people, colleagues in your actual industry versus like, I've gone to networking events where it's kind of general, all, all industries type of thing. And it's not really like worthwhile to me versus fashion group is obviously very focused in the fashion industry. Um, since I've been the regional director for the Chicago group the last um, year and a half, um, I've also gotten the opportunity to travel to New York to the regional directors conference and meet directors from other cities throughout the world, which is also a really amazing experience to be able to like have really global access to people. Um, they put together like a member directory. So, I mean, I can look up phone numbers for people at Marie Claire or, um, you know, different, different designers, um, Diane von Furstenberg. And so having, again, that access to people and people in 
you know, that collective group that support one another and support the next generation um, is really inspiring. So I'm glad to be a part of that. Um, another organization I really love in Chicago is AIBI, which is the Apparel Industry Board of Illinois. And they are more focused on like the independent designers and connecting them with resources. They have a really cool sewing studio that sometimes I'll utilize that. Or if I have designers um, that are clients or friends, I will you know refer them there so that they have a space where they can um, you know design and use different sewing machines. They don't have to set it up at their house. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like those types of organizations they really are they're kind of like they're a staple in our industry to be able to you know offer people connections, networks. Um, tools and and space like you mentioned like those are especially for you know the young up-and-coming designers or designers who want to dabble and want to learn but perhaps they don't have another outlet to do that so those organizations are like they're just great resources really Mm -hmm. yeah it's you can meet friends you can meet mentors I mean I think there's a lot you can learn from other people and especially you know women who've been in the industry for 20 years like those are great people to have a conversation with do you want to give a shout out to the fgi website uh for anyone who might be interested in um, learning more or trying to you know get more information on membership and things like that sure it's fgi.org or if you are in chicago it's chicago.fgi.org what i want to talk more about now is a bit more on working as someone who's like an independent freelancer type contractor work. Has it been difficult? Maybe offer some insights on kind of like the nitty gritty, possibly unglamorous part that people don't necessarily realize you have to do despite being in like the very glamorous sounding fashion industry. I feel like people kind of have this vision or expectation of what it's like to to work in the fashion industry and sometimes the reality of it isn't quite what people think it is unfortunately it's not every day attending fashion shows and and events and things like that although of course you do get to do those things um but yeah there's a lot of extra work um hard work that goes into it um I'd say, I mean, in the beginning, there's many years spent where I didn't make a lot of money. So if I weren't passionate about it, if I didn't really, really want it, um, I think a lot of people quit because like, oh, I'm not making money or I'm doing volunteer positions or things like that or, you know, working for working on projects that you maybe didn't really make a lot of money, but it was a good experience. And if you can't really look past that into the future, I think a lot of people just quit. So you have to really persevere and like, it's worth it. It's worth it to do those things, um, to get your name out there for people to, to know and trust you and for you to get the experience, um, under your belt and and have that expertise later. Um, I'd say a lot of, a lot of stuff that like, is not glamorous. It's a lot of like schlepping around materials. Like if I work with a sewing contractor factory, I'm loading up my car with bolts of fabric and patterns and driving around town and, you know, doing, doing calls in the car and stuff like that. So that's not something I think most people think about, but yeah, if you're, if you're doing production or even sample making, that's the reality. Like it has to, it has to get there somehow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're the ones carrying it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I mean, I joke like working in fashion is like its own version of CrossFit. Like I can, you know, pick up a, a 50 yard bolt of fabric and put it on my shoulders, but yes. I probably couldn't bench, bench press it. But <laughs> I agree. It does. It's a great analogy. Up. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like you kind of were hitting the trade show circuit a ton this spring. Um, are there any interesting things that you were able to see and experience that are coming to the industry that you'd like to share? Any interesting innovations that you can talk about from your perspective? I, I think I went to a lot of trade shows this year, actually. Um, so I participated in December with uh, DG Expo, which is a small designer show. I've gone many times, but it was their first year in Chicago. So I participated in that um, as a vendor. Um, which was a great experience and got to talk to people. I did a seminar about tech packs. Uh, and then in January, I was in New York. I went to uh, Tech's World, which is a huge, huge fabric show. Um, so I went kind of, it was a last minute thing because I've gone to the show before, but I got to kind of explore and see um, new things that are out there. They had a panel about ethical fashion that uh, the LIM College, LIM College, had put together. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting. Um, and then I was just in Atlanta a few weeks ago for um, Text Process, which is probably one of my favorite shows to go to because it's all it's all about manufacturing and technology and uh, kind of the side of, of the fashion industry that a lot of people don't really think about. Um, so that was really cool because I got to see yeah, a lot of new things. There was a, a company that was doing a like electric conductive thread. So you can actually like embroider on fabric and embed like LED lights into into a design and light up a dress if you want to. Very cool. Um, so that was really neat. Um, what else was there? Uh, a lot of like 3D technology. Um, I was I actually went with a, a friend of mine whose company is called Firefly Line. And she does 3D prototyping, um, so like digital sewing together a garment um, and putting it on the avatar. And she does that as a service for designers using Optitex, which is one of the CAD softwares out there. And so seeing seeing her being able to have access to people, um, I mean, a lot of big companies were there. We met someone from Target who walks that show and are using like 3d technology in their own, in their own process, um, and product development. Um, a lot of uh, cool things are coming out too, are like photo digitizing of patterns and like 3d body scanners and stuff like that, which they've been around for a few years, but it's becoming more accessible and even being incorporated into like phone apps and things like that, which is amazing that it, like that, level of technology can almost be at the consumer level very soon. It's exciting. It's just like kind of showcases, again, the evolution, how technology is playing into everything. And I think it's really cool to hear just about, you know, how companies are really looking at taking the word innovation and going beyond just sustainability and looking at how can these things impact people's life daily. I think that's really exciting. Yeah, and also like the use of robotics in manufacturing. Um, I don't think it's ever going to replace, you know, human sewers 100%, but there are machines that can, you know, do a full jeans pocket with embroidery on it. Um, or they can, 
pick up thread and move it to a different place um, in the factory and things like that. Like the, there's a lot of like AI and, and things like that that are being incorporated. So that's really interesting to see. Um, does that worry you at all in terms of like your work? But I, I know you kind of said you don't think it's ever fully 100% going to replace the need for like a human sorb. Um, does that worry you or does it kind of excite you in terms of, well, what can you know, how could this possibly help me in the work that I'm doing with my small business? Um, I think ultimately it's going to help us. It's going to make, um, you know, manufacturing, especially domestically cheaper. Um, so I think that'll make it more accessible for people. And again, like the robot is not a hundred percent running itself. And I don't think it can ever replace, especially in like a complex garment, like outside of a t-shirt or like a pocket setting or something like that. You really do have to like guide the fabric or when you create a pattern, like there's a lot of finesse that goes into like achieving good fit. And although there are blocks and things like that, I don't know that a like an AI or a robot could really replace like doing fittings and, and making sure that the garment like hangs and drapes and fits the way that the designer wants it to. So I think they're all really good tools that can help us probably achieve better fit, um, faster production, um, hopefully some more lean manufacturing or on-demand manufacturing versus like warehousing, you know, going back to that sustainability issue. Like there's so many clothes that are just like dead stock that people haven't bought and they're no longer in style. So they're they're just sitting in warehouses, you know, collecting dust, which is really unfortunate. So if we can reduce that cycle by, you know, manufacturing in a more um, efficient manner or on-demand cycles, that would, that would ultimately benefit all of us. Very cool. Have you faced any obstacles on your journey at all? And if so, how did you manage to overcome? Um, I'd say, you know, being an entrepreneur, you, you're, you're stuck in your head a lot and it's, it can be kind of lonely. So it's, I'd say like, I'm probably over the years unintentionally, but like, as I've focused on growing my business, I'm sure that I've like missed out on events with friends and things like that. So it's something I'm more and more conscientious about. And I, I, you know, strive to create that personal time and space for both my family and my friends. But yeah, being an entrepreneur can sometimes be lonely. So um, working as hard as you can to overcome that and like get out of your own space or making friends with people who are also entrepreneurs who kind of get that like your schedule is crazy and it changes five times a day and <laughs> things like that. Um, they can be your friend and understand that like it's not your fault, but you're working towards something. What would you say then has been like your greatest success so far then? Um, I'd say, you know, I, I feel most successful when, you know, I get letters from my clients or emails from my clients, um, and seeing, seeing their happy faces when they launch a product and it's successful, um, that that's really like the biggest reward for me. Um, I also really enjoy like talking to students and kind of inspiring the next generation and educating people about how to do business better and, you know, that there are really great opportunities available out there. What would you say have been some of the best investments that you've made for yourself um, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, um, or even just for your business in general? I'd say lately or more recently that the the best investment I made was I purchased um, StyleCAD, which is a, a drafting software program. 
And that has really changed my life and my business and made me so much more efficient um, in, in being able to draft patterns digitally. Obviously, it's a large expense. So that's really the reason it took so long to get there is just the expense of it. But I finally got to a place where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take the leap. And even though it's a lot of money, I'm just going to go for it. And fingers crossed, you know, that it works out. <laughs> yes. Luckily, I think I put that out there into the universe and got, you know, additional business and obviously able to do patterns and revisions, especially a lot faster. So it's, it's worked out, but yeah, it was a huge kind of leap of faith for me to make uh, a large investment into myself and my business. Is that similar to Um, like Digitex? What's that? Is it similar to like Digitex and um, like Acumar or um, yeah, like Acumar Digitex? Is it the same kind of thing? Gotcha. Okay. Same thing. Yeah. Um, there's a few different companies out there, but StyleCAD seemed to be, for me, after doing a few different demos, was like the most um, kind of user-friendly, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, I guess other investments, I say, would be really business education and like reading. Um, I think there's a lot of really like great books out there to help kind of motivate you as a business owner and um Malcolm Gladwell and uh, Gary Vaynerchuk are probably the two favorites right now. Um, but there's so many like awesome books out there that to inspire you for marketing or business or um, even just within your field. Um, fashionincubator.com is a really great website. I really love um, and consider the the owner of that site, uh, Kathleen Fascinella, is one of one of my mentors. Really, like she's a pattern maker and has been in the business a long time. So, I was reading her blog um, when she started it after I graduated college and was really starting my business. And it was a great tool and inspiration to me. Very cool. Any suggestions for you know one or two books that you think listeners should check out? Um, Tipping Point. With by Malcolm Gladwell is probably one of my favorites. I've read it a couple of times and I'm currently, I've listened to it like two or three times now, but I am now reading the actual text because I feel like I absorb it better. Um, Crushing It um, by Barry Vaynerchuk is on my list right now too. Okay, awesome. Um, what kind of advice would you give an individual who's interested in pursuing a freelance career in the fashion industry or even starting a business, you know, like what you did, not necessarily along the same lines, but getting their foot in and launching, what what kind of advice would you give them? I feel like working for someone else, um, no matter how big or small that company or person is, like having access to a mentor would be really important. Um, I feel like because I had opportunities, even though they all weren't full-time, but I worked for different small companies and was able to take away experiences and um, really just good business advice from the individual owners, that that was really key for me. Um, So finding a mentor and then just really working harder than everyone else. Like you have to make sure people know who you are, um, (laughs) marketing and marketing through social media, marketing through in-person events, whatever, you know, whatever the the right platform is for you, but getting yourself out there and making sure people kind of know who you are. They trust you. They, they know that you're an expert in your field and 
the other thing is don't be afraid to ask questions. I think the worst thing people can do is pretend like they know it all. I remember I had a teacher in college who used to say, like, fake it till you make it. And I always hated that because I'm like, well, I don't want to be fake and <laughs> I don't want to, like, mislead people. That's a terrible statement. But and I'm sure like what she probably meant was like, you know, you have to act like, you know, the person that you want to be and then you'll become that person. But mm-hmm. it's like it's OK okay to like show that you're vulnerable or that you don't know something but that you're willing to find the answer and you're willing to do the work. I think you touch on a really important thing that that idea of being a lifelong learner. Um, I think not enough people realize that once you're done with school <laughs> that's just the start of like your education. Working in the industry, you know, the work that you do on your own life in general, it's going to teach you so many amazing lessons and um that idea of being open to ask questions or learning new things. I think it's so important. Yes, you may be an expert in something, but there's always opportunity to learn something new and grow and add to your skill set. So I think that's really a really like insightful and important um, point that you make. Uh, I, I think just being, you know, open and honest to like, it's okay to not know something and want to figure it out. I think that's more important than you know, saying, you know, the answer and whether you're right or wrong actually doesn't really matter. It's like, but being willing to learn and, and grow with your industry, like everything is changing constantly. So you have to, you have to be on top of those things and and continually learning. Otherwise you'll eventually you'll be behind if you don't do that. If people wanted to learn more about you or connect with you, where can they do so? Uh, um, So other than my website, um, which is social.com, xochil.com um, or if you forget that you can go to the Chicago Pattern Maker it'll, it'll get you there too um, but I spend probably most of my time on Instagram um, out of all the social platforms I, I love that the most and it's visual it allows me to connect with people I think in the, the best way um, for fashion um, so my Instagram is fashion social so x-o-c-h-i-l again all one word though fashion social um and you can also find me on facebook or linkedin um facebook i think is social patterns um facebook.com slash social patterns and i'll be at the dg expo if anyone is in chicago i'll be in the dg expo the end of august so i'd love to meet people in person if they're in the area (laughs) thanks for listening to this latest episode of make and create I always enjoy sharing individuals like Sochil who are truly trying to make a difference in the fashion industry. She highlights how small indie manufacturers and production-focused companies are helping to change industry norms. They're educating the public as well as up-and-coming brands on what they should be demanding from major brands that they want to hold to higher standards when it comes to their social and environmental impact. Sochil's story shows that dedication, a hard-working mindset, and never giving up even when circumstances aren't set up for success, that success isn't impossible. It just takes a bit of ingenuity, a lot of pushing through, and moving forward despite those obstacles. Sochil is the epitome of a millennial hustler. As I was working on this episode this week, I came across a video that shared an older comedian with a bit that focused on the quote-unquote lazy, no-good millennials. I know. I know, I just laughed at the idea as I worked on editing the story of a millennial woman who has made a career and business work despite the obstacles that she was up against. 
I personally thought about my own story too, working a full-time job and two part-time jobs just to make ends meet and then still doing things like this podcast to inspire others and it got me thinking. Men and women who fall into the millennial age bracket often get labeled and pegged into some seriously negative stereotypes. But a majority of the people that I've met, know, or encountered who are millennials are some of the hardest working individuals I know. It amazes me what Sochil and other people like her have accomplished. She has a boldness and purpose that keeps her moving forward, and that is something that I think so many people deserve to be inspired by. They go against the grain, and they don't let the world's assumptions about them get the best of them. And that brings me to my lesson that I learned this week while I was working on this episode. Tired stereotypes are just that, tired. And it's up to us to continue to focus on who we want to be and model that for the generations that come after us and not take much heed in the criticisms of the generations that came before us. It's actually a reminder to me that we all kind of need each other because we are, after all, in this together. And that's all I've got for this week. Check back in two weeks for our next episode. Till next time, I'm your host, Genevieve Guillazan, and thanks for listening.